So the magnetic field is intensely important in our everyday lives. And we aren't aware of it at all. I think unless you're Dowsers. And I think that part of the sensitivity of dowsing is actually becoming aware of this subliminal energy. Hi everybody, you're listening to Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 25 from the British Society of Dowsers. I'm Graham Gardner. Now, this is our first podcast of 2011, and uh, I'm sorry we haven't managed to get one out before now, but January's a very busy month for me personally, and I just haven't had time to put one together. In this episode, though, uh, we'll be featuring a talk from our 2008 conference by parapsychologist Dr. Serena Roney-Dougal, and the subject is Where Science and Magic Meet. Serena is a parapsychologist who is particularly interested in the relationship between subliminal perception and psychic awareness, and she's had over 30 years of study and experience in scientific, magical and spiritual aspects of all things psychic. So I think you'll find it's a fascinating talk and very relevant to dowsers. But before we get into that, let me just give you a quick roundup of some of our forthcoming courses and events. Okay, let's start with some of our forthcoming uh, BSD courses. On the 19th and 20th of February, uh, tutor Peter Stott is running a foundation course at Castle Morton Parish Hall near Malvern. Now, unfortunately, that one's now fully booked. Uh, but don't despair, because the following month, on the 19th and 20th of March, our director John Moss is running a foundation course in the Cotswold Room, North Leach in Gloucestershire. Uh, backtracking a little bit, on the 5th and 6th of March, there's an Introduction to Dowsing for Health course by Maggie Ledbetter, and that's also uh, taking place in the Cotswold Room, North Leach. And the 12th and 13th of March, we have uh, Earth Energies Level 1, that's Earth Energies and the Spirit of Place, being tutored by Faye Palmer in Uffington Village Hall, Oxfordshire. Now, our special interest group spring events are all coming up. The Archaeology Dowsing Group is uh, continuing their investigation of the amazing prehistoric and Roman site at Hill Farm Guestingthorpe in Essex. That's on the 5th and 6th of March. The Earth Energies Group has a fascinating weekend booked on the 12th and 13th of March in the Village Hall, Terrington, that's just north of York. And the speaker list includes uh, Jim Lyons, Tom Graves, Paul Devereaux, Bill Holding and Tim Walters. The Health Special Interest Group have their spring meeting on the 26th of February, and that's in North Holmwood Village Hall, which is near Dorking in Surrey. And speakers include Olive Glasgow, talking about musculoskeletal alignment, Kay Creighty on colour, sounds and symbols, and Sari Doughty Bassett on energy flow technique. All sounds very interesting. And on the 19th of March, the Water and Sight Dowsing Group are leading a Lost Objects workshop, uh, which is being uh, facilitated by Chris Strong, and that's at the Sun Inn, Hook Norton in Oxfordshire. For more details of all these courses, uh, please see the main BSD website at britishdowsers.org. And uh, remember, you don't need to be a BSD member to attend any of our courses or events, although there is a surcharge for non-members. And now to our main feature. Now, this lecture is very important for dowsers as it explores that liminal area of the mind between the conscious and the subconscious, which is where the dowsing response is to be found. Serena covers several areas, including the effect of plant hallucinogens on the brain, the pineal gland and how it works, the effect geomagnetic fields have on our consciousness, remote viewing, telepathy, quantum physics, dowsing, ghosts, fairies and aliens. It's a very wide-ranging and fascinating talk, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Um, when Helen um, invited me, she gave the title for me to speak to as Where Science and Magic Meet, the title of my book, which is as vast a topic as one could wish for. So obviously for you, as you can see, I've narrowed it down a bit. But let me just explain to you how I understand that title, Where Science and Magic Meet. And I take it down to what the root of the words is. And the root of science is knowledge. 
nothing more than that. Science means knowledge. And um, in 21st century Western, it's a method of gaining knowledge. It's the way in which we find out things. So for me, that's what science is, just the way in which we find out things, the method of gaining knowledge. Magic is obviously a little more interesting in its origins, and um, I have it on what I consider to be good authority, that the actual root of magic is an Arabic word, magim. And you will know this word from Christmas, when the three magi, the three wise men, came to the Christ child. So the Magim were the wise ones. When we're talking about magic, we're talking about wisdom. A method of wisdom, of gaining wisdom, just as science is a method of gaining knowledge. So what I'm going to give to you today is just a little bit of knowledge, a little drop of science. And hopefully out of that science, we can distill maybe one drop, it might only be half a drop of wisdom. So, as, um, as Patrick told you, my love, since I was a child, has been the mind, consciousness, fascinated by the mind. And I was very fortunate, when I was doing my psychology undergraduate degree to get introduced to parapsychology. And parapsychology is, as far as I'm concerned, the study of pure mind. Mind without the senses. Mind where we just know things. We know it by intuition, we know it by telepathy, we know it by clairvoyance where it's things separate from us in space, we know it by precognition, things separate from us in time, or we affect things directly with our mind, as in healing, laying on of hands. So it's that intent, it's the way mind in and of itself interacts with this world without going through the senses or the physical body. So as far as I'm concerned, if I'm wanting to study mind, let's go to parapsychology. Let's work with the psychic, because I can't get it clearer and cleaner and purer than that. Now, in my study of the mind, I started by relating psychic awareness with subliminal awareness. Now, subliminal awareness is where something is coming in through the senses, but you aren't conscious of it. So, for instance, should there have been a clock in here and the clock's ticking, you wouldn't consciously notice the ticking of the clock, but it would be there, and if I shut up and everybody else shut up and we listen, then we'd be hearing it. Yeah? So that's coming in at one level of subliminality. But there's actually a level below that, where there is something happening, let's say cars going by on the road, and even if I shut up now, you're not going to hear those cars going by on the road consciously. But actually, at a subliminal level, we are all picking up that level of sound, believe it or not. We've done the research, we've done the experiments. We are incredibly sensitive people. Now, we found that we can bring these subliminal perceptions into consciousness via various mechanisms, mainly altered states of consciousness. So, if you did a relaxation exercise and you were asked to visualize something and then to draw that something out, um, and then maybe having done that drawing, to then go and record your dreams that night and bring your dreams in the next day, and you would find that maybe your dream was amplifying something from the drawing, and what it was amplifying was a subliminal perception that you had been um, given earlier on in the day. And you hadn't been aware of it, but it was there and it affected you. So we can bring these things through into consciousness. Now, we are being affected by these subliminal impressions all the time. And what we found is that some people are what are called perceptually vigilant. 
They're the sort of person that when there's something that happens, they turn to see, what was that? And, and so they start, they're immediate aware. Other people, when these subliminal impressions come along, go the other way. I don't want to know. They're what we call perceptually defensive. Now, we found that that vigilance or defense is identical at the psychic level. That there are some people that are perceptually vigilant who are also very intuitive, <coughs> who also pick up on things, clairsentient. They get the feeling in their stomach. You know, you go and you park the car and you think, only five minutes, I've just got to nip into the shop. But there's a feeling inside of you that it's actually bad to park the car right at that point. But you ignore that feeling because it's quite subtle. And the main thing is you've just got five minutes and you just need to get this and it's only five minutes. So you ignore the feeling. And then when you come back and you discover you've got the ticket, you go, damn it, I knew. Yeah, you all have that. I can see you're all up. We, we do this all the time. We ignore the subtle. Except you as dowsers don't ignore the subtle. You as dowsers are actually very tuned into the subtle. And what I am suggesting is that the subliminal awareness and the psychic awareness actually work together, particularly in dowsing. They work together. One either enhances one's subliminal impressions with psychic impressions, or you have just your psychic impressions with no subliminal, or there are those people who are defensive, and they're defensive at both levels. Now let's go into this altered states bit, because, I mean, you've all gone to sacred sites. You know that when you go to sacred sites, you shift, your consciousness shifts. You go into a, a slightly different state of consciousness. There's something about that place that takes you into this slightly dreamy type, imaginative type state of consciousness. Now, my research, looking at altered states and psychic awareness, led me to research into the pineal gland. The pineal gland is situated right in the center of the brain. And the pineal gland makes something called penoline. Now, penoline is really interesting because it interacts with one of the major um, neurotransmitters in the brain called serotonin. Now, serotonin, actually, if we look at its chemical name, is 5-hydroxytryptamine, or 5-HT. So you can think of this as a variety of T, let's say PG tips, yes, a variety of T, 5-HT, is serotonin. Incredibly important in the brain. I mean, one of the major, it's got half a dozen different receptors, it's involved in a whole raft of different things that are going on. Made in the daytime, present everywhere. Found in the greatest concentrations in the pineal gland. Now, at night, the pineal gland wakes up. It's actually controlled by non-rod, non-cone receptors in the eye, which has their own nerve, going to something called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is like our biological clock, going to the pineal gland, telling the pineal gland whether it's day or night. Yeah? So pineal gland only wakes up at night, wakes up at night, produces, you'll have heard of melatonin, the whole biological <coughs> clock hormone, also producing this thing called pedaline, greatest concentrations of serotonin in the pineal gland, the pineline reacts with the serotonin to create another variety of T called DMT. You can think of it as old grey tea. It's got that extra something that PGTIS doesn't have. <laughs> what that extra something is, is that it's an incredibly potent hallucinogen. Back in the 60s, in those days that some of you might remember, it used to be called the businessman's trip. The joke being that the businessman in his city office could, could leave the office at midday, times under one arm, umbrella under the other arm, drop some DMT, go to the park, have a trip, and one hour later go back to the office. That was the joke. Very fast acting. Now, I can assure you that DMT is a class A hallucinogen, and I'm going to arrest a lot of you right now. 
because we all make it every night. And the thing is, why do we make it every night? And the thought is, this hallucinogen is what triggers dreaming. So the pineal gland, right there, what the yogis call Agya Chakra, the psychic center, is making this hallucinogen. Now, what I found really intriguing is that this thing going on here is virtually identical with this thing going on here. This is ayahuasca, which is a, a incredibly used by all of the different Amazonian peoples um, hallucinogenic brew, which they take for out-of-body purposes, <coughs> like spirit traveling, for joining with their spirit guides, for shamanic healing, for seeing into the future, for remote viewing, traveling clairvoyance. Yes, there is a whole raft of uses for, for ayahuasca. So the, the ayahuasca used in the Amazon, made of two different plants. This Banisteriopsis carpi is a vine, and then they put a variety of different plants. I've got here Nixipekawa, but there's also Cyclophia viridis, a whole range of different plants that they mix together, they boil it up for three days, and then either the shaman works on it on his own, or all the villagers will sit in a circle and have a, have a group experience. Now, what's interesting here is that Banisteriopsis carpi contains within it what are called the Harmala alkaloids. And if you look at this picture of one of the Harmala alkaloids and of pinoline, you'll see that they are virtually chemically identical. Now, there is a very slight difference, and I've been assured by um, biochemists that that's a difference because one is plant-based and the other is animal-based. And that's the, actually the only difference. And their action is the same, but one is coming by our plants and the other is coming endogenously produced by us animals. So we've got an identical constituent. And Banisteriopsis carpi is called the sacred vine. It's considered very holy, very special, because the sacred vine is incredibly important. Because the other plants that they put in, as you will see, they contain this DMT, this potent hallucinogen. But if you ingest DMT, it's actually broken down in the gut and it doesn't get assimilated into the bloodstream and hence into the brain and so doesn't produce its effects. What you need is to mix it with the vine because the vine then enables it to be assimilated. So the different tribes will use different plants containing DMT but they will all use the sacred vine because it's the sacred vine that allows the DMT to have its psychic effects. So when I came across this piece of information, I was really excited by it because it felt like I had come across a key to understanding why we tend to be more psychically aware when we are in an altered state of consciousness. <coughs> Now, it's not, I mean, as a, as a parapsychologist, I know that most people have their psychic experiences actually when they're asleep and dreaming. When we, people are always writing into the psychic societies and the research laboratories with their mega experiences. And it tends to be, I was asleep and I woke up and there was Great Aunt Edith at the foot of the bed and she smiled at me, waved, turned and disappeared and I was like, what is this? And when I got up in the morning, I told my family that I'd seen Great Aunt Edith at three in the morning and then we got the phone call to say that she passed away peacefully in her sleep and I realised she'd come to say goodbye to me and, you know, big experience. Now that's classic. It's that time, it's that nighttime experience that the spontaneous experiences. We've discovered that over 65% of people's spontaneous experiences of that order occur at nighttime. This is when the pineal gland is up and running. And of precognitions, most of them happen as precognitive dreams. When people see the future, 60% of the time, they're seeing the future in a dream. So we know that this state of consciousness, the, the nighttime state, the sleep time state, it's not that you're not psychic at other times, but this is when it maximizes. 
And so I really got into this, and my latest research has been with meditation and looking at the effect of meditation on changing state of consciousness. And what's really intriguing there is that the yogis say that Agya Chakra, the third eye, the psychic center, is located at a physical level in the pineal gland here in the center of the brain. If you take these coordinates, then you get to the pineal right there in the center. And they consider that's a physical locus of Agya Chakra, the third eye, the psychic center. And I think that this little bit of information I've given you here is that clue, is that clue to what's going on. It's shifting our state of consciousness into that level where we go out of space and time into the all is one level of the psychic. Okay, so here we've got the pineal gland taking us into a state of consciousness. What's the link with geomagnetism, which was what was entitled? Now, I'm very aware, I'm about to talk about Earth's magnetic field, I'm very aware that a lot of you work with subtle energies. Now, when we talk about working with subtle energies, we are actually talking about a whole raft of different sorts of energy. Yes, there's many, many, many different sorts of energy that people work with. <coughs> what I'm going to talk about here is one energy that at one level is subtle and that most people aren't aware of what the Earth's magnetic field is doing to them at any one moment in time. I mean, if you see the northern lights, then you become aware because it's very strong. But most of the time, we aren't actually aware of what the Earth's magnetic field is doing to us. And what I'm going to show you is that it's doing very powerful things to us all the time. Now, the Earth's magnetic field is merely one subtle energy. There are many. So I'm not giving you whole answers here. I'm giving you a tiny little drop that maybe can feed in to other drops you've got to help create some body of wisdom. What we found in parapsychology is that psychic awareness is strongly affected by the Earth's magnetic field. The first research into this started in the 70s, um, somebody called Michael Persinger, and it's still carrying on to this day, and in fact my work at Sami Ling with the Tibetans is going to be taking place at Sami Ling precisely because the British Geological Society has an observatory there where they measure the magnetic field every second. So this is what we found. Um, I've got here remote viewing more successful when the GMF is quiet. So what we find is that the Earth's magnetic field sometimes increases in intensity, let's say when there's solar flares, and yes, you get the northern lights, even down as far as Southampton once, wasn't it, that people saw the, the, the northern lights. That was really intense pulse coming from the sun, hitting the Earth's magnetic field, creating a magnetic storm, which creates those wonderful lights, and affects us. But... As you will see, when it's active, that's when we get more poltergeistery type effects. So when you get those magnetic storms, that's when you're more likely to see the ghosts, the bereavement hallucination, I explained, seeing great auntie at the foot of the bed. More likely to get that sort of thing when you get those magnetic storms. And healing effects. There was a 10, 15 year series of research into distant healing. Um, and distant healing actually occurs more strongly when the magnetic field is more intense, when the activity is higher. So it's what I call active psi, the active psi, the putting out there, yes, that, that active aspect. I mean, we're putting out there the bereavement hallucination, it's a vision that's out there, the seeing the ghost, it's a vision that's out there, poltergeist, it's stuff going crazy around you, it's out there stuff. Whereas the remote viewing and the telepathy being more frequent when the Earth's magnetic field is quiet, so this is more internal, isn't it? It's where you're going into yourself and, and you are seeing whatever it is that you're seeing from within. So it's when it's quiet. Now this is really interesting to me. 
And the key thing for me is that you've got this difference. Pineal gland is strongly affected by the Earth's magnetic field. Strongly affected. The pineal gland makes enzymes. They're involved in the production of melatonin from serotonin and the pinoline also. When they did this research up in northern Norway, where they have the polar night, yes, in winter, when the sun never rises. And what they found is that the pineal gland is still following a circadian rhythm, a day-night rhythm, even when there's no light. And what they found is that this day-night rhythm that is being followed by the pineal gland, even when there is no sun rising to keep it in track, is because of changes in the Earth's magnetic field that follow a day-night rhythm. The pineal gland is so exquisitely sensitive to changes in the Earth's magnetic field. And what is sensitive is the electrical activity of the pineal gland making these enzymes. Now, the key point that I wanted to give to you just now, following on from what I've just said about the psychic effects, is that... When the, the magnetic field increases in activity, you get an increase in this. When the magnetic field decreases in activity, you get a decrease in this. But whatever way it goes, you get a decrease in this one. So there's a difference happening here. And I wonder, I mean, well, now this pure speculation, we haven't got anywhere near this, but I wonder whether those different types of psychic effects, the active side versus the receptive side, active side being with active GMF, receptive side being with, with, with quiet GMF, whether that might not be related to the changes in this enzyme that is involved in the production of penolene, which takes you into the psychic state. Question mark there. But I just notice that you've got the two things going on at once, but the research hasn't been done yet. Yes, after now, I've given you solid research, and now giving you a little bit of speculation. You will also see what I've got here is that shielding the GMF desynchronizes the, the, the circadian rhythm. So the pineal gland, through the production of melatonin, through its actions on the hormones, gets us up in the morning, puts us to sleep at night. This happens even in the dark because it's the magnetic field, as well as the light, that's involved in doing the attainment. But if you have no light and you have no magnetic field, then you get no circadian rhythm at all. So the magnetic field is intensely important in our everyday lives. And we aren't aware of it at all. I think unless you're dowsers. And I think that part of the sensitivity of dowsing is actually becoming aware of this subliminal, yes, this <coughs> subliminal energy. And we're affected by that. So here we've got the pineal gland. So let's start here, the opiate receptors. Um, you've heard of, of the endorphins, the endorphin effect. Yeah, pineal gland is intimately involved in all of that. Um, and through all of that, it's involved actually one of the, the papers I've been reading have mainly been about how melatonin production protects you from cancer. There's been a strong link between the production of melatonin by the, by the pineal and, um, and, and, and cancer, particularly breast cancer. So here we've got the whole serotonin thing and the hallucinatory thing. Here we've got a whole nerve thing. Our nervous system is intimately bound up with the way that the pineal gland works. Our sensitivity, yes, that nervous sensitivity. The pineal and the pituitary work together. So if you think of, we were, I was told the pituitary was the master gland. 
in charge. Yes, is the one that switches on all the hormones. Pineal, remember, is vestigial. Well, actually, pineal is the mistress gland. She switches off all the hormones. Just like women go around switching off the lights and turning off the lights. Yes. They work together. <laughs> you need both. If you switch on all the lights all the time and never turn them off, what do we get? Global warming, chaos, problems. You need to switch off sometimes. You need the two to work together. You can't keep it switched off all the time. Sometimes you need light. Yeah? So it's a question of keeping the balance. That's what they do. They keep the balance. So through the melatonin, it affects all of our puberty, our sexuality, our pregnancy, so much. It affects our, our gut. You find, you find this hallucinogen in the gut. Now, I wonder if this is where gut instinct comes from. Driving by the seat of your pants, yeah. that one. That's what, yeah. Um, the adrenals, so all of our stress stuff. Um, again, mammy goes, and I've got pregnancy, etc. here, but let me give you a little thing. Both men and women have breasts. Both men and women have breasts. Women just have them bigger. That's it. We both have them. We both make the hormone of the breast called prolactin. Men have it as much as women. It's even in the fetus at three months in the womb, in men and women. What's it about? It's not just about breastfeeding the newborn baby. It's about our moods. Prolactin is the hormone of mood. And manic depression, yes, the, the, the mood swing problem that some people have is connected with prolactin. Dowsing in GMO. This is the main bit for you. Lots and lots of work showing that water dowsers and dowsers working at archaeological sites and dowsers working with um, mining companies for metals are being sensitive to the Earth's magnetic field. There's probably other stuff going on as well. Not saying there isn't. But if you... There's a fantastic series of research done by Betts. It was recorded in the Journal of Scientific Exploration about 10, 15 years ago. This dowser was working in Sri Lanka and in Africa with the water aid agencies. Yeah, so he's out there and he's locating well sites for villagers who are having to walk miles to get their water. It's very important work. We're not talking non-practical here. We're talking as practical as you can get. How to get the best supply of water for these villagers that don't have any water. He worked with them for years. They did dozens, scores, scores, maybe even hundreds of wells. They found that this dowser had a between 80 and 90% success rate. In other words, when he said, dig your well here, and they went down and dug the well here, they found that within the distance that he said that they were getting so many gallons per minute of good water. Now, they also had the machines, yes, the, the machines that measure the magnetic field, which are used for digging wells, yes, and, and, and when it says that there's a magnetic anomaly, then you know that below that point you've got the, the fault in the rock, and it's where the fault in the rock is that you've got the greatest water flow of the underground water, so that's where you dig. Those machines were having a between 60 and 70% success rate. He was 80 to 90 percent. But he was picking up on that magnetic anomaly plus some. That's, the, that's, that's my thing. The subliminal perception, yes, being sensitive to that energy of what's going on under there, part of which is magnetic field, but only part, there's something else as well that's being picked up. And that's what he was doing. And that is what I find so very interesting as what is going on here. Now, there's been various review articles. There was a review article by somebody called Hansen. There was a review article, I'm looking here to, to see, somebody called Williamson. And in this review articles, we've not only got the practical work that I've just talked to you about, but there's also experimental work that's been done. 
Now, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. It's, it's this classic subliminal psychic sense. I mean, the thing in parapsychology is that sometimes you see it and sometimes you don't, and conditions have got to be so sensitive, you've got to be so in tune to be able to allow it to come out. So laboratory work is tricky. But the main conclusion that these review articles have come across is that at least one aspect of dowsing at this very physical level is related to the sensitivity in magnetic field. But only, only, only partially. Because we come to the next bit, which is the psychic aspect too. Now, I think that this is where the pineal gland that I've been telling you about comes in. Pineal gland, exquisitely sensitive to changes in the Earth's magnetic field. Yes, we've already shown that quite clearly. Exquisitely sensitive. Pineal gland also responsible for taking us into what I call a psych-inducive state of consciousness. Yes, through the production of the penoline, through the production of the DMT, shifting our state of consciousness into that level where we become more sensitive to what I call that state of being that's outside space and time. What I know about dowsing is that I've got to focus the question. We do the same in my meditation research with the lamas and the yogis. Focus the question, get the intent. What is it you're wanting to do? We're bringing in mind. We're bringing in consciousness. We're bringing in focus, we're bringing in will, we're bringing in intent. We're bringing in all those subtle non-measurables called psyche. We're here at the psychic level. At the psychic level, we're not talking about any sort of energy at all, other than that of consciousness. And consciousness is not an energy. David Bohm got this really clear. I don't know whether any of you are fans of his, but I think that his is just the perfect marriage of science and spirit. Um, and he says, actually, we've got a triangle. We've got the Einsteinian energy and matter link. Yes, so matter is connected with subtle energies. So the, 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 the matter of the sun, the energy of the sun, affecting the energy of the earth, the magnetic field, affecting things like rocks and matter. Yes? So we know this energy-matter link. It's very clear. But he says there's this third one. Consciousness. He calls it meaning. Information. And you can't measure information on any machine. You can't, yes, it's meaning. What's meaning? It's not an energy thing. It's not a matter thing. It's a meaning thing. So we're talking of, a, of another order here when we're working at the psychic level. And what I'm saying is that pineal gland mediates us into that other order where all knowledge is. No space, no time. Isness. I did, my wonderful daughter gave me such a clue in when she was talking about Indian mathematics. And it was only in medieval times that the West got the concepts of zero and infinity. We're still new to these concepts. We've only had them for five, six hundred years. They've had them for two and a half thousand years in the East. They're very okay with those concepts. But the psychic reality is the reality of infinity, eternity, blur, blakes, to see the world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower, to hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. It's the mystical world, isn't it? It's that other world that we shift into. And I know that when we're working at the psychic level, that we shift into that reality. It's not this reality of matter and energy and time. It's that other reality. And what we're doing is we're transducing. We're going between this aspect of reality and that aspect of reality. And when we're working at the psychic level, we're in that aspect of reality, bringing that information in via the same mechanisms as with subliminal perception. That's the key thing. So via 
that shift in Sense of direction is also magnetic field orientation. This was work done by Baker in Manchester University. And he took students blindfolded in a coach with all the windows blocked out, drove them for a while, round and round, round about, turning right, turning left, every which way, got them out at the end, spun them out and said, right, point to where you've come from. <laughs> he found that they would go and be within a range of accuracy. But if there were magnets in the blindfold, no sense of direction at all. At all. Our sense of direction is a magnetic one, just as in homing pigeons and wood mice and all the other animals that they found have got a magnetic sense of direction. You know, it's, it's this magnetic field stuff is, is the whole of our lives. And we don't normally realise it. So, that's, I'm just bringing that in as a little extra to show you the importance. Okay. This, I'm sure you all know this stuff. It comes from Paul Deborah. It's way old, and nobody's done anything since. That's what's so shocking. But here I am. I've got all the latest pineal gland research which is carrying on. Um, this is, is, I mean, this is way back. This is 1970, UFO sightings. So we heard yesterday the link between UFOs and pool circles, and there's all sorts of links with UFOs and psychic awareness, because UFOs tend to shift you into that state of consciousness, the psychic state of consciousness. Um, and people are always seeing lights in the sky, as well as the little red men and all the rest of it. And this is what was happening in the 70s, and what he showed was where you got the UFOs, that's where you also got the earthquake epicenters. Did you know that in Britain we have on average 400 earthquakes a year? I mean, we think that Britain is old, landmass, and solid, and doesn't really do nasty earthquake things. It's actually 400 a year, about one a day. But they're so small that we don't notice them. But about one a day there's one happening, and particularly particularly this area, you see. I mean, you've got some in this area, but the majority are over here, and that's where you've got the majority of the UK sightings. Because, of course, an earthquake epicenter has got to be where there's a geological fault line. You already talked about fault lines in terms of water dowsing, that fault lines are places where you get Earth's magnetic field, anomalies, whole load of work done in America with the geologists over there, showing that where you've got fault lines, then you've got the pressure of the rocks, the rocks are, are crystalline, the rocks then have piezoelectric effects, you then get what's called exoelectron emission, and that this exoelectron emission might manifest in terms of, of balls of light or whatever, but what it certainly does is affect us humans. I showed you right at the beginning, well not right at the beginning, close to the beginning, that when you've got um, extra magnetic fields, when the magnetic field is extra active, that's when you tend to get the visions, that's when you tend to see the ghosts, that's when you tend to get the poltergeist stuff. So here we are, we've got an earthquake epicenter, we've got the geological fault lines are very active, there's lots of pressure, the pressure is released, you get these anomalous magnetic fields of people in that area are strongly affected by it and they have the visions that they have. They start to shift into this other world. And I, my second book is called The Fairy Faith, because I think that all of the fairy mythology is actually us shifting into this other state of consciousness. And what we do is we make form of whatever that consciousness of that reality is. And the form of the pixies and the form of the greys is very, very similar. Whether it's from several hundred years ago in our history, or whether it's modern day America with all the alien abductions, we're seeing the same consciousness of that reality that we shift into. So here we have the fault lines. And as you see, Scotland heavily faulted. Cumbria, Peak District, pretty, pretty, almost the same. Wales, pretty mega. Cornwall, Somerset, 
also pretty strong. The West Coast, the the, the Fay places. Yes, and the Scots are going for the second sight, the Welsh with all the tool of Teg and the otherworldly aspects, the Cornish, well, we all know they're crazy. <laughs> and what do we get where these heavily faulted areas are, the areas that I've just talked about, where you get this very active magnetic field stuff going on? taking you to other states of consciousness, that's where we get the stone samples, the majority of. In fact, in Paul's book, I think he shows that, you know, over 90% of the stone circles are within a mile of a geological fault line. Because, you know, not only is the land where the stone circles powerful land, strong land in terms of the, the, not only the magnetic energy of that land, but also the radioactive energy and so on and so forth, uh, yes, but the stones themselves, you know, you can measure the magnetic energy of the stones. I don't know if any of you have been to Kalanish, but yeah. Kalanish, the stones are pure crystals, aren't they? They're just layer upon layer sandwiched together, these crystals, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I mean, you don't need to touch any of those stones. You know, you can feel it. It's like, whoa! Yeah. This is strong. I go to a stone circle. I go to a stone circle at night. I go to a stone circle when the moon is full. And from my knowledge of the annual effects of the magnetic field, I go to the stone circle at midwinter solstice, when the moon is full. I am now in the most perfect place for sending out psychic healing, prayer for peace, whatever magic you want to do, and may it be for the good of the whole. Because at that time and in that place, we have got all these conditions absolutely maximized from our work in parapsychology, from the work I've given you of the biochemistry, and from the work I've given you of the, 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 the geological stuff, We've got all the conditions come together to maximize any effects that you might want to. That's the giving out. Because stone circles are, are the, the active energy places, yes? They're the mega energy places, they're the power places. Now, one thing I've noticed, it's not always, but it's quite often, that associated with a stone circle is a long barrow. So at Avery you've got West Kennet, at Stanton Drew you've got Stony Littleton and so on. Now if you go into a long barrow and you sit at the end of the long barrow, I mean you're going to have all sorts of different experiences, but let's say you're a teenager and you want to turn on your radio in the days when teenagers turned on radios, nowadays it's iPods, but you know, let, let's imagine that you're an old-fashioned teenager. You want to turn on your first radio. It's not going to work. Because the construction of the long barrows with, first of all, the, the inorganic, the stone, and then the earth, and then the quartz, and then more earth, and so on, the organic, inorganic layers, if it's, a, if it's one that hasn't been mucked about, I mean, sadly, now, most of them have been mucked about by archaeologists and so on, so you don't have the complete seal. But those that still have got a complete seal you don't get the radiation coming through of all the different electromagnetic radiations and blah 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 blahs. They're quiet places. That's what I notice when I go into them. It's like I leave it all behind. I go into a place of deep quiet. They're places where all of the magnetic field stuff is reduced. And if you really want to cut out the Earth's magnetic field, you go into a cave. And a lot of the meditators and the people I've been working with, they go and they spend 10, 15, 20 years in a cave. 
So they cut out all of this stuff. They're in this perfect piece. And that is where you can go within and you are receptive to the clairvoyance, to the telepathy, you have the out-of-body experiences and so on, you're in this within where you shift into that I think that the um, ancients, our Neolithic forebears, and most of us actually, even if we're relatively new incomers, let's say in the last hundred years or so, actually have a lot of Neolithic bloodline in us. I was fascinated to hear that. But those people who built the stone circles and the long barrows and the hinges, I think that they were scientists of the psychic arts. They were true magicians. And may we learn from their wisdom. Thank you very much. Well, I'm sure you'll agree that was an absolutely fascinating talk from Dr. Serena Roney Dougal. Serena's book, Where Science and Magic Meet, is available from the BSD shop, priced £12.99 plus £2.25 postage and packing. And Serena's website is at sciresearchcentre.co.uk. That's P-S-I hyphen researchcentre, one word, dot co.uk. I'll put a link to that on our main show page, which you can find at britishdowsers.org forward slash podcast. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Hanley Swan, England. For more details about the society and how we can help you get more out of your dowsing, please see our website at britishdowsers.org. You can contact the show by sending an email to podcast at britishdowsers.org. You can also post messages on our forum, and you can even find us on Facebook. Just do a search for British Society of Dowsers. Thanks for listening. My thanks, as always, to Hilary Brooks and Ian Pegler for the music, and look forward to seeing you next time for more Adventures in Dowsing. <laughs>